There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Thursday, April 21st. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the stories we're working on today. We talk about some of the more than 100 bills signed into law by Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, including the official renaming of Maryland Route 210. We talk to the Piscataway Indian Nation matriarch about the historic law. I feel my heart beating. I feel like I want to just dance and get out on the highway and just shout. And WTOP's Neil Augenstein tells us about the fight for Nico, a Virginia dog in death row limbo for seven years. While at least more than one judge has ordered that he be euthanized, he's still around today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Megan Cloherty. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan signed more than 100 bills into law this morning, including raising the minimum age for marriage. Did you know, Luke, before today, a 15-year-old could marry with their parents' approval? Wow. Yeah. With the stroke of a pen, Hogan also banned many uses of chemicals known as PFAs, long-lasting chemicals that harm humans and the environment. And WTOP's Kate Ryan is here to tell us more about the most important new laws in Maryland. So to start, let's focus on these two bills that relate to firefighters. One is banning PFAs, chemicals in firefighting foam, and the second addresses the mental health issues for first responders. Tell us about this second new law. Right, This bill is interesting because it offers peer support to firefighters. This is not about getting uh, a licensed um, a professional to speak to, but literally sitting with your designated peers to talk about what's going on, the stresses of the job. And this is important because the firefighters testified that we see everybody else's worst day of their lives, and we carry this with us, and we need to be able to unburden ourselves. But we can't worry about being seen as weak or unfit yeah. because we need emotional support. Mm. And they talked about, just like in the military, other professions, police have gone through this same sort of thing. So the the critical importance here, again, to the firefighters was that they can do this in a safe environment and maintain their mental health so they can be at their best on the job. And the the testimony was really very poignant. So the bill allows them to have that sort of that resource come to them or what does the bill specify? It provides it within your within your setting and what it does is includes a lot of privacy guarantees so mm. that if your supervisors hear, "Oh, so and so signed up for peer support," that it's not automatically flagged as, "Oh, we have a problem here." Again, a lot of uh, privacy concerns were, were at the heart of this. Yeah, I mean, that's a really complex dynamic between needing to be, you know, strong and there, and firefighters are so tough, but also dealing with some of the heaviest mental burdens probably of our community. So taking a little bit of a step back, Governor Hogan called this the most successful session in eight years. I assume that's because he saw a lot of bills he supported pass through the legislature, including the tax cuts and the new congressional district map. But Another one he was supporting was cracking down on these ghost guns, which, Kate, you've covered. How is Maryland trying to reduce violence by going after these untraceable guns? What it will do is restrict or ban the sale of these things, and it's a statewide action. 
And these are the same firearms that kept showing up in incidents like the one at Magruder High School. Mm -hmm. And the ability to do this statewide means it keeps more of them obviously out of circulation, a big concern. Governor Hogan signed on to the bill, calling it a good first step. He wanted to go further with his own crime package, but it's very significant that he did sign this into law this time around. And just so everyone knows, ghost guns, I mean, we hear that term passed around a lot, but basically it means there's no serial number on the gun. A lot of these come in kits, so you can build them, so you can buy different pieces. Technically, you're not buying a gun, you're buying a kit. And because there's no serial number, you can buy them in kits online. So how do they know if I'm a 14-year-old kid or a 39-year-old sports shooter. Right. The point of it is it does get to Hogan's desire to go after violence here. And ghost guns has just been going up, 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 up as a problem, not just in Montgomery County statewide. Over and over again, police have been saying from Baltimore to Montgomery County, we're seeing more of these. This is the the weapon of choice among some of the most dangerous criminals. And on a bit of a lighter note, there's a new bill that bans the declawing of cats that just got signed. That's right. The debate on it was very, very interesting on the floor of the Senate. And it was introduced by Senator Cheryl Kagan, who declared, I think this is a perfect bill. Uh, there we yeah. go. She, and, and she made the point that many veterinarians are opposed to this because they say it takes not just the nail of the cat, but the first knuckle. So you're removing a part of the toe Ow. of the animal. Exactly. That's the point. Um, there were some questions about, but what if this means that someone can no longer keep their cat or uh, your child comes home from college with a cat and you say, no, I don't want my furniture scratched up. The only way I'll let this happen is if you are willing to get it declawed. That means you have to choose keep the cat or not. I wonder how they could enforce that, though. I mean, if you already have a cat, is this are they grandfathered in. There's got to be a joke there somewhere. No, there is no there is no going after people who have had this done previously. There are some veterinarians who feel, again, that it really is needed. Um, It's unclear how this will shake out in cases like that. But bottom bottom line, you know, more and more, it's like the docking of dogs tails. You see more and more Rottweilers, for example, who actually have their long tail. Because veterinarians are saying, we're not going to cut the ears like we used to with Dobermans. We're not going to cut the tails like we did with Rottweilers and Weimaraners. I mean, if you think about it, it's such a weird thing to even, you know, why were you cutting their their skin in the first place? But it's just something becomes tradition or I don't even know what you describe it. Owner preference. I mean, uh, well, owners just want it. Not to geek out on you, and I don't want to turn this into, you know, pet No, it's interesting. Yeah. But back in the day, uh, certain dogs, hunting dogs, herding dogs, would have bobbed tails so they wouldn't get stepped on, broken, because the tail is an extension of the spine. So there's a practicality. People would argue there's a practicality with having the ears cut. Again, if if some of these hunting dogs are running through brush, that they don't have this poor ear flap that gets cut up. There's a lot of debate. The U.K., European countries, have gone much further than we have with this. This makes Maryland the second state to outlaw the practice, to ban the practice of declawing cats. Then we also saw the official renaming of Maryland Route 210 from Indian Head Highway to Piscataway Highway. This name change has been a long time coming, since 2003, and there were a lot of name proposals between um, when this conversation started until now. So why did the Maryland legislature pick Piscataway Highway, and when will we actually see the signs change, do you think? October 1st oh. is is when the bill actually goes into effect. So I would expect we're going to see the signs change. 
And I know that the chief of the tribe has said there will be a big celebration. They have been pushing for this for a long time. This was a tribe that was only recognized by the state in 2009. They had to fight for state recognition. And by calling it Piscataway Highway, it brings in both the Piscataway Kanoi tribe in Maryland and the Piscataway Nations, the broader group of peoples. It's interesting, too. I mean, there's been so much focus on that highway recently just because, first of all, it is a very dangerous highway that has had speed issues for a long time. And then there's also the recent investigation we did about how this construction project on 210 has taken six years. Right. That was supposed to take two. But all of that is separate from the idea that it has been named this for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that, you know, it's not just, oh, 210 again. This is a pretty landmark day um, in Maryland history as well. Long time coming. Very big day. Kate Ryan on the Maryland legislature beat for us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And Megan, this renaming of Maryland Route 210 really does make today historic. We now turn to Miss Julie Tayak Yates of the Piscataway Indian Nation. Ms. Yates, first of all, congratulations. Thank you for being here. Tell me how you are feeling. This has been a long fight for the First Nation. Tell me what this day means to you. I broke down. I'm telling you, I broke down. I'm just, I feel the drumbeat. I feel my heart beating. I feel like I want to just dance and and, um, just shout, get out on the highway and just shout. So I always said it was a ghost highway. So, you know, we're going to awaken it it, and people will feel the feel the strength and the power and and it will come to peace. After today, people uh, that didn't know will know. We will educate them through the history and uh, I'm just ecstatic. And Ms. Yates, tell us about your people's history. How long have you all been here? And tell us about what that means for this historic day. Well, our history actually dates back over 6,000 years. It took place way down um, in Southern Maryland when the Ark and the Dove arrived on those two ships were noblemen, Calvert and and when they arrived, you know, they met the Piscataway people and along was Father Andrew White. And Father Andrew White was the one that actually educated everybody and he learned to write the Piscataway language. It goes back to that our 1666 treaty when they decided to take our land, but uh, we never gave up. You know, our mm. bloodline is still here. Our bloodline flows through the Potomac River. Our bloodline flows all throughout the state of Maryland and all throughout Indian country. So this is a big historical moment for the Piscataway people and all other tribes as well. And so what's the next move from here? Um, you know, the the renaming is going to officially happen on the signs come fall. Tell us what, what the next steps are. The next step will move forward for our uh, federal recognition and honor the treaty, honor our 1666 treaty. Wow. So your life work continues. I was going to say this is such a huge, huge win for you, but there's so many more steps to go. There's, there, there is, but you know what? We're here. We're, we're, we're still here. That's what we say in Indian country. We're still here. We're not going anywhere yet. You know, I have many years to go, you know, to work uh, like my father did and my ancestors did, you know, to to tell our story. And that's what we did today. We told our story and the governor made it happen. And we're, we're just honored. <laughs> we're happy to raise you guys up here and uh, make sure everybody understands what a big day this is. Thank you. Thank you for making time for us. And after the break, we'll talk to Neil about a dog named Nico that's escaped death row for seven years in Virginia thanks to his owners and lawyer. 
If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. So seven years ago, a jury convicted a Virginia woman of owning a dangerous pet after her dog, Nico, killed a cat. A judge ordered he be euthanized. But all these years later, Nico is still alive, thanks to a Herculean effort by his owners to have that sentence thrown out. WTOP's Neil Augenstein joins us on Zoom now, and he spoke with the couple's attorney about how they're going to these great lengths to save their dog. Neil, there's a new ruling out this week in the appeal of this case. Tell us what the latest is. Yeah, well, this ruling was by the Virginia Court of Appeals. Just to set the, the backstory, uh, in August 2015, Tony Sue Stacy was convicted in Albemarle County, which is, of course, down near Charlottesville, for owning a dangerous dog, Nico, who's a Staffordshire Terrier, which most of us know as a pit bull, uh, who killed a, a neighbor's cat. The judge initially sentenced Stacy to 90 days in jail, but the judge suspended all of that with the condition that Stacy be of good behavior and also that Nico would be euthanized. So, you know, that's something that a judge is allowed to do in, 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 in ruling uh, and sentencing somebody for a dangerous dog case. And so over these past seven years, you know, Nico still lives. But where has he been? Has he been with his owners? No, uh, the the case has been in the courts, and uh, Nico has been kept by the Charlottesville Albemarle SPCA, which is a, a no-kill shelter. I did talk with the shelter uh, this morning. They said that they have been following the, the court's order, and as the local shelter for that area, it's their responsibility to take care of uh, Nico per the court's orders. This isn't the first ruling since 2015, is it? I mean, has this kind of been in and out of the courts since then? Oh, there have been a a number of of appeals at at different levels, all the way up to Virginia's state Supreme Court. And in one of the rulings, the appeals court did rule that rather than be euthanized, the dog, Nico, could be disposed of. And under Virginia's code, what disposed of means is that if somebody, for instance, a shelter, is willing to register that dog as a dangerous dog and house it at their facility, the dog can continue to live. Wow. And so the SPCA Mm. was willing to do that. And Nico has continued to live there since then. And the most recent appeal was that Stacy said since her initial sentence for the initial misdemeanor would have been six months behind bars, since that has expired so long ago, the sentence should be thrown out and Nico should be returned to the pet owners. But what the Court of Appeals ruled is no, judges are allowed to either 
order a dog euthanized or have the dog sent to a shelter and by accepting the offer to have the dog euthanized back in 2015 then stacy is bound by that decision to this day mm. and so you know this has all played out in the courts you know as you just laid out for us but it's also been kind of playing out in the court of public opinion you know nico has his own facebook group so in your reporting what have you seen people say about this case and is there is there any conversation about whether you know this dog's nico's breed has anything to do with this well, of course, and any time a dog is going to be put to death, uh, then then there are Facebook groups that that, that form, and uh, I think that you know they're they're certainly well-meaning. I think that Virginia's dangerous dog law does not allow a dog to be put to death because of the breed of the dog. So, in other words, it's not the fact that that Nico is a Staffordshire terrier or pit bull it's the behavior of the of the dog that stacy is being punished for so just to wrap this up neil the court of appeals says he must be disposed of not euthanized do we know what's next in this fight you spoke with stacy's attorney today are they going to continue on and does nico continue to live at the spca for now well, yes, uh, Stacy's attorney, Elliot Harding, told me this morning that he is in communications with uh, local animal control now, and they are hopeful that eventually Nika will be let go since the Court of Appeals has ruled that euthanasia won't be required. Uh, Nico has been a, you know, a survivor of the court system for seven years. And while at least more than one judge has ordered that he be euthanized, he's still around today. Yeah, a lot of money, a lot of heartache, a lot of time in this for, for one pet, but we all know what we do for our pets. Neil Augenstein, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. And we'll see what happens next in this fight for Nico. Sounds good. And Megan, before we go, we got to talk about the Georgetowner. The boat? The boat, yes. The boat, it's a fresh boat, and it sits in the canal, the CNO Canal in Georgetown it's right now. It's a fresh boat. It's a fresh boat, and people can actually ride on the boat soon. So hasn't the canal been, I mean, the last time I saw the canal, there was no water in it. Yeah, so actually, the levels of the water depends on the Potomac and the lock system, which is controlled by the National Park Service. So they right. kind of control the water levels, and it's been under construction because there were some stability issues along the canal in Georgetown. You can actually see some pretty intense buttresses along the walls. Like, there are some buildings that are about to fall in. So they had to do some work on it, but now that work is done, and so now the Georgetowner, that boat, can freely move along the canal. I feel like this is a very Washington thing. Are, do you have, like, the inaugural tickets or something? I actually went over there in the inaugural, but I do have <laughs> tickets. I got tickets the first day they were out. Because it's cool. You know, these barges shipped hay, agricultural tobacco, at the birth of our nation. Yeah. I think the first ride is in April. April 28th. So get your tickets now. Are you going to smuggle some champagne on there? Are you going to do some kind of special <laughs> special cheers to the Georgetowner? I'm sure there'll be plenty of that on the inaugural day, which is April 28th. Awesome. That's kind of cool. Thanks for joining us for the DMV download sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. This show is produced by me, Luke Garrett. And me, Megan Cloherty. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab. And our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate the show if you get the chance. You can find out more about the show and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. 
DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, and online at WTOP.com and, of course, on the WTOP News app. Have a great night. 